Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for taking time to join us again today on the program and uh, for faithfully watching. Let, let me say to you, um, if you've missed any of the programs that we have aired today, you can go back on YouTube and watch them. Uh, you just simply go back and Google either or put my name in the search engine or that you might have life. There is an entire channel there with all the programs that we've aired to date. You are welcome uh, to use these in your Sunday morning services, your uh, not your Sunday morning services, but perhaps your, you, you can use them there if you want to. But uh, a lot of people are using them in their Wednesday night services in their cell groups to pull it down and to view them and then to have discussion. I'm not asking you to agree with every point. As I've went through this book of Revelation myself, I have learned an immense amount just being able to share with you uh, as I have, you know, studied this to be sure I had all of my ducks in a row. Uh, and, and I'm certain that as truth begins to unfold that I'll adjust some things, maybe perhaps a little bit more, and, uh, you know, they become clearer and clearer. So we're not asking you to believe everything we say, but just to consider the possibility of the whole transition of this whole view and way of looking at things. We are in the 21st chapter, so we've aired way over a hundred and something programs on this subject. Uh, so we're, we're starting now uh, in chapter number 21, and let me just read it from you for you, and we will uh, begin from there. It says, And I saw a new heaven, this is King James, and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and, their God, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, I, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of, free, of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I'll be his God, and he will be my son. Now, I want to jump in here today by dealing with, first of all, the first part of this. We're just going to take this piece by piece and slowly as we need to do it. But when I begin to, first of all, uh, last week I began to introduce this chapter in last week's program, the first part of the book of Revelation, the Spirit of the Lord says to John, come and see. Over and over, several times, he says, come and see, come and see, come and see. And then the latter part of the book of Revelation, John begins to respond by saying, and I saw and I saw, and I saw. It is my hope that after all of the weeks of teaching that we have given you, that you can stand at least say in some dimension, and I saw. But I would ask you what you see as we come to this. See, John is responding by saying, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now we're going to just deal with that, just the, first, the whole concept of a new heaven and a new earth, uh, with no more sea in it in this particular first segment. Now, again, what happens when we come into something like this is our mind goes to natural, uh, uh, you know, literal things rather than, than the context of what Scripture talks about. Now, remember that what we talked about is, first of all, almost everything in the book of Revelation, especially when you're dealing with the judgments, the trumpets, the vials, and uh, the seals, 
it almost looks like creation in reverse, or if you will, a decreation. So what it really is, is an old creation is passing off the scene. God is giving birth to a new creation. And we talked about that a little bit in the last segment. Now, one of the things that I want to read to you is several places actually in the Scripture where it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, but uh, Isaiah 65, verse number 1 through 3 says, I am sought of them that asked not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts, a people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face, that sacrificeth in the gardens, and burneth incense upon the altars of brick. Now that is then uh, later quoted. Now remember the context of that. Uh, Isaiah 65 is in the context of holding out his hands to a rebellious people. Well, you know that I've taught all along that uh, this rebellious people was natural Israel. And so in the latter part of Isaiah 65, verse 17 through 19, it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Now remember, that's the context here again in Revelation chapter 21, is there's a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and there is no more tears, crying, or pain. Now I'm going to get into the no more tears part and, and take a whole segment just to deal with that, but let me just suffice to say what he's simply saying here is that uh, you're no longer going to mourn in Zion. In other words, the old covenant, the covenant with death has been disannulled, and that which produced the weeping and the wailing, if you will, and the gnashing, as my friend would say it, the gnashing of teeth, uh, is no, no longer in play. And, and I'll, I'll get into that uh, in a, a later segment. But I wanted to show you it's in the context of him saying, you know, I stretched out my hands uh, to a rebellious people, or I stretched out my hands all day long to this people, but I'm about to be found of them that weren't looking for me. It was, a, it was the season and the time setting when God was saying, I'm going to take this from you and give it to a nation producing the fruit, it was him offering it to the Gentiles. <coughs> Excuse me. Then the apostle Paul quotes, or he literally quotes Isaiah in Romans chapter 10, verse 20 through 21. This is the words of, of the apostle Paul in the context of saying that uh, Israel sought it not by faith, but they sought it by works. And so he begins to talk about uh, them transitioning from law to grace. But here's the 10th chapter. This is in the New Testament. He's quoting Isaiah, verse 20, uh, verse chapter Romans chapter 10, verse 20 says, But Isaiah said, is very bold in saying, I was found of them that sought me not. <coughs> Excuse me. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Uh, so he's talking about in the context or the season of this new heaven and new earth coming on the scene is in the context of him talking about an old Jerusalem, an old covenant, uh, 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 an old system passing off the scene and offering it to 
a new creation. In other words, he's saying to them, uh, in the season when I, I gave you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and you would not receive it, I've held out my hands all the day long. Now I'm about to be found of them that weren't looking for me. This is the same exact period when the new heaven and the new earth would come on the scene. Uh, in Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 17, Jesus says this in the great Sermon on the Mount, when he is introducing what we commonly call the Beatitudes. Now, what are the Beatitudes? They're attitudes that you need to be in. He says this uh, concerning, and see, I think that's pretty profound. The attitudes you need to be in. Their attitudes, the adjustment of their attitudes was going to teach them how to receive the kingdom, and then was going to teach them how to release and minister the kingdom. But he says in chapter uh, 5, book of Matthew, when he's introducing this new covenant, he said, Think not, I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Now, I'm going to tell you that's powerful. That's a strong scripture that's declaring that, first of all, Jesus did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. I've taught on this over and over again. It would be like entering into a covenant with someone for an automobile and saying, okay, I'm going to buy your car for $10,000. I'm going to make you 10 monthly payments of $1,000 a month. Now, I'm going to tell you at the end of that 10th month, when that final payment is made, then that, that you didn't do away with that covenant, you fulfilled it. When Jesus cried, it is finished on Calvary's tree, what he was saying is that this covenant demanding on you that you could not pay anyway has been fully paid. Every jot, every tittle of the law has been completely and totally fulfilled. And now that law and the prophets, again, think not that I'm come to destroy the law and the prophets. I'm not come to destroy it. I've come to fulfill it. Jesus completely fulfilled it. Now let me tell you something. If after you made the 10th payment on that vehicle you purchased and you paid it in full, and 2,015 years from now, you're still making payments on a covenant that's already been fulfilled, somebody needs to wake you up. And I think that's the tragedy of what happens in the church is that we are trying to keep on making payments on a covenant that's been fully satisfied. And Jesus goes on to say, Verily, verily, I say to you, to heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law to all be fulfilled. If this scripture is still in our future, listen to me, especially people who understand grace. If this scripture is still in our future, we are still up under the law. Now I'm telling you that that scripture was all till all be fulfilled. So heaven and earth has passed. Because, uh, you know, one of the things that, that we need to understand is, let me see if I, I've got it somewhere here. In one, one of my notes, let me see if I, I've got it here. Uh, maybe in, it may be, I think it's in this one. I've got so many notes laying here for so many things I want to share with you that it, it's difficult sometimes to keep track of where they're at exactly. Um, let me look through here very quickly. But he talks about, I lay uh, in Zion as a foundation. And uh, uh, let me just see. I, I, maybe I, I don't have it here uh, just readily handily. But uh, he talks about, uh, I, lay, I lay the foundation in Zion, and I say to Zion, uh, I've laid the foundations. I call, he called it heaven and earth. Here, here it is, here it is. Isaiah 51, verse number 13, it says, And you forget the Lord your maker. This is Isaiah 51, verse 13 through 16. And you forget the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth, 
You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he was prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the, of the oppressor? The captive exile hastens that he may be loosed, that he shall not die in the pit, and that, and, and that his bread should not fail. But I am the Lord your God who divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name, and I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundation of the earth and say to Zion, you are my people. So he's calling uh, Zion and he's calling his, the, the people of Zion, uh, laying the heavens and planting the earth. I, 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 it goes on to say uh, in my notes here, it says that the time of the planting of the heavens and the laying the foundation of the earth that is referred to here was performed by God when he divided the sea and he gave the law at Mount Sinai and said to Zion, Thou art my people. That is when he took the children of Israel out of Egypt and formed them in the wilderness into a covenant nation. He planted the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth that is brought forth. That is, he brought forth the order of government that was based on the law. If the destruction of heaven and earth were to be taken literally in all of the Old Testament passages where it was used, it would mean that the heaven and the earth were destroyed a bunch of times. And this language is clearly not literal, but figurative and apocalyptic, the same being true in the New Testament when uh, he's talking about a new heaven and a new earth. Because what he's simply saying here is when he brought them across the Red Sea, uh, he laid the foundation of the earth and... and uh, uh, he, he gave the law and set up a, this natural people as Zion being the heavens and the earth. If that was the old covenant, I think this is powerful to me. The new covenant, when we come into, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, that says to me the old Zion and the old land and the old creation has now passed off the scene and God has given birth to a new Zion, which you see in Revelation, or not Revelation, Hebrews the 12th chapter, when he says, for you have come to Mount Zion and you've come to the city of the living God. It is in the contrast of Hebrews 12 where he talks about the new covenant. So uh, the old heaven was the old covenant people of God and the new heaven and the new earth is the new covenant people of God. Uh, that's just part of it. I'm going to deal with a whole lot of stuff in this. But I need you to see that this old heaven and old earth was passing. And what's interesting to me is that he, come, he establishes them as a covenant people the moment they crossed the Red Sea. So what you see here in Revelation chapter 21, there was no more sea. What he's saying is you're not going to go back to Egypt. And remember we told you in a prior segment that Egypt is connected to the old system of law and religion. And Revelation 11 verse 8 says, For our Lord was crucified in the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Our Lord was not crucified in physical Sodom or physical Egypt, so the Spirit is making a connection to it becoming a spiritual uh, bondage. So they are leaving the bondage, and that, that's, that, that bondage of our Lord was crucified in the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt is we are leaving the bondage of an old covenant paradigm, and we've crossed over the Red Sea. And if you remember, I taught you in Revelation chapter 15 that uh, they came up out of uh, the, the, the sea mingled with fire with red that looked like blood to a horse's bridle. We talked how that when they came up out of that in chapter 16 of Revelation, uh, they sang the song of Moses. The song of Moses was the song that they sang right after they came up out of the Red Sea. 
And they stood on top of a sea of glass having uh, the harps of God, or they began to sing the song of Moses. So what I'm simply saying is that this is, this is, that was the establishing of the first heaven and the first earth was when they came up out of Egypt were established as a covenant people under an old covenant paradigm. So when you see a new heaven and a new earth, it's God establishing a new Zion, a new Jerusalem. He's establishing a new people, and He is saying to them, there's no more sea. There's no more going back to an old covenant paradigm. Uh, we could, I mean, everything about this is screaming old creation, new creation. I could talk about, I could go clear back to Genesis, and we could talk about how in the book of Genesis, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word beginning there in the Hebrew language is the Hebrew word first fruit. So in the first fruit, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, darkness was upon the face of the great deep. Now, if the first fruit, in the first fruit, God created the heavens and the earth. See, when God, I feel, I feel like preaching here today. <laughs> uh, when God leaned over uh, the balconies of glory and took a lump of red clay and began to shape and mold His image and likeness into this red clay, He said, let's make a man in our image and after His likeness. And, 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 and uh, He began to form and shape this man out of the realm of the earth. He took him and made him out of the earth. And then I could see the angels of heaven rear back and say, yeah, but he's out of the earth. And because he's out of the earth, he's earthy. And God would say, but I'm not finished yet. And the day is not over. And about that time, God would ascend into the deepest depths of spirit substance. He would fill his uh, lungs with a breath of spirit. And he would come down literally on the nostrils of Adam and breathe into him the breath of life. And so Adam, which was earth, and God, which was heaven and spirit and breath, began to uh, come together. And so the human and the divine begin to be the interface. God created in the first fruit heaven and earth so that you cannot, so that when you, when you read the whole powerful picture of Eden's garden, and this will make sense even as we get into chapter 22, Adam was not just human and he was not just divine, he was human and divine. He had the best of both worlds. He had the breath of spirit substance from the invisible realm of God, but he also had the stuff of earth and so he is human and divine. He is heaven and earth. He is the place, the interface where heaven and earth together meet and connect. He was the interface. So that when you see this language in Genesis and you see it again in Revelation because it starts in a garden in Genesis and the conclusion of this book in chapter 22 is it ends in a garden except this garden only has one tree and it's the tree of life. And the reality of it is, is that this first man had the best of both worlds. He could walk with angels. He knew them by their name. He talked with God. He had connection to the visible and to the invisible. He was both human and divine. He walked with God in the cool of the day. And uh, he was literally to the blue ball called earth what God was to the invisible realm called heaven. He was God's vice regent in the earth with the dominion mandate that I talked about in the last program. But the reality is, as God began to breathe into him, so he was in this man was both heaven and earth. So that when you read the, the powerful, prophetic, poetic scriptures of Genesis and Revelation, you can't tell if this man is in a garden or is the garden in this man. That's powerful. Or is it both? See, I don't think it has to be either or, but all of the above. The, this garden was in this man, but this man was also in the garden. And he had the best of both worlds. Heaven and earth were together in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, they were, they were, they were so merged together that you couldn't tell where one began and the other one ended. 
But Adam lost that and there was a disconnect. And for 4,000 years, uh, there was a fallenness and an abyss or a separation from God. But when you see the virgin bow in pain to give birth to a son, the Son of God, when He comes on the scene, He's made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that are under the law. But He's not just human on Mary's side, but He's divine. He's the Son of the living God. He's very God and very man. He's human and divine. He is the beginning of a brand new creation. He's a new heaven and a new earth. Wow. And I've, Listen, come on, come and see with me today. Come see what I'm saying. Let the Spirit give you revelation that there is a new heaven. I want you, when this thing is over, to begin to rear back and say, I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the old creation was in Adam and the old heaven and the earth merged together in him. And that old heaven and old earth then was governed and, and controlled by the law of the Mosaic system. And then this man uh, ends up with a family. A family becomes a nation. A nation ends up uh, becoming the heavens and earth that God lays. And even as he told them in Deuteronomy in chapter, I believe it is chapter 10 and 11, the book of Deuteronomy, when he brings them into the promised land, he said, I'm going to cause it to be like the days of heaven on earth. What I want you to see is that whole old creation was fading off the scene. And now see, remember this whole book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And if we are in Him, we are a new heaven and a new earth. I could say it like the Apostle Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. I mean, if that's not, I think there's actually a translation that, create, uh, that quotes that scripture. If any man be in Christ, he's a new heaven and he's a new earth. I think there is. I, don't quote me on that to be sure. But you can see the whole powerful picture of 1 Corinthians where it says that, that uh, uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. That's what he's declaring in Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Uh, also, uh, in, in the mind of the Jewish believer, I wrote this also from, I pulled this out of my notes on the writings of Josephus, because we're seeing a new heaven and a new earth. You're also going to see a tabernacle, a new tabernacle, because everything is fading off the scene from the natural and is moving into the realm of the Spirit. But this is from the writings of Josephus, and I'm going to read it for you. It says, As to the holy house itself, which was placed in the midst of the inmost court, that most sacred part of the temple, it was ascended to by twelve steps. And in front of its height and its breadth were equal, and each a hundred cubits though it was behind forty cubits narrow, and on its front it had what may be styled shoulders on each side that passed twenty cubits further. Its first gate was seventy cubits and twenty-five cubits broad, but this gate had no doors, for it re represented, watch this, it represented the universal visibility of heaven, and that it cannot be excluded from any place in front was covered with gold all over and through its first in inward part. Now let me skip on down. There's a lot. Could, it was also a Babylonian curtain embroidered with blue, fine linen, and scarlet, and purple, and of a contexture that was truly wonderful. Uh, was truly wonderful. Now was this mixture of colors without its mystical interpretation, but it was kind of an image of the universe. For by the scarlet there seemed to be an enigmatically signified fire, by the fine flax it was symbolized the earth, by the blue air, and by the purple it symbolized the sea. Two of them having their colors, the foundation of this resembled the fine flax of the purple, having their origin for that foundation, the earth producing the one and the sea the other. The curtain also embroidered upon it all was mystical in the heavens, excepting that of the twelve signs of the zodiac representing the living creatures. To the Jewish mind, their temple was 
Bethel. It was where heaven and earth met. It was where they met with God. It was there that God would meet with them. In the old covenant, he met with them in a physical tabernacle. In the new covenant, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when you see that they viewed this temple as heaven and earth and sea because of the brazen sea that was in the outer court, you could also take this even further and show that while this temple symbolized heaven and earth, it was an old heaven and an old earth that was passing away because with the destruction of this temple, there was a removing of the old heaven where God met with man. There was a removing of their land, of the land of Palestine. The Romans overtook it. And the sea was no longer, there was no longer a brazen lever. It's not like the ocean's going to dry up. In other words, what he's saying is everything that had to do with the old creation has now been placed by a new creation. There's a new temple. There's a new heaven. There's a new covenant. There's a new tabernacle. There's a, a, a new tongues. There's new mercies every day. He rears back and says, behold, I'm just going to make everything new. There's so many places that we could talk about the new heaven and the new earth from, but simply suffice to say, he's talking about a new creation. He's talking about a new covenant, a new heaven and new earth, a new Zion, a, a, a new a foundation, a new covenant people, a new, if you will, Israel of God, a new Jerusalem. Uh, the old has passed away. And the new has come on the scene. This is not just something in your future. Now, it, has, it, it arrived on the scene 2,000 years ago with ongoing, uh, with ongoing realities. Because the scripture tells us that you and I are a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Uh, in Revelation chapter, the first couple chapters, it says, To him that overcomes, I'll write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down from God out of heaven from my God. Uh, the new heaven and the new earth is a new creation people. Can you see it? And I saw, and I saw. That's the response I'm hoping that dawns on your heart as we begin to move further into this new creation. We'll talk about some more of it as we begin to, uh, we begin to move further into the book of Revelation, but we're about to run out of time. So I'm just going to, to uh, just take a few moments to just encourage you. Man, if, the ramifications of this are incredible. Once again, you know, when we begin to see that this is a present reality, yet there is greater unveiling. Somebody asked me, is Revelation 21, 22 past, present, or future? My answer to that is yes, it's all of the above. It's past, it's present, but it has future ramifications, just like the body of Christ is still alive and well on planet Earth. If you enjoyed today's program, give us a call. Sow something into the ministry. Somebody standing by to take your credit card or your gift, or you can write to the, uh, the uh, address that will come on the screen. Thank you for joining us today. God bless you is our prayer. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.